let loose a torrent of declamation. There was really nothing to be said for Mr. Carswell. Nobody knew what he did with himself. His servants were a horrible set of people. He had invented a new religion for himself and practised... No one could tell what appalling rites. He was very easily offended and never forgave anybody. He had a dreadful face, so the lady insisted, her husband somewhat demurring. He never did a kind action, and whatever influence he did exert was mischievous. Do the poor man justice, dear, the husband interrupted. You forget the treat he gave the schoolchildren. Forget it indeed. But I'm glad you mentioned it, because it gives an idea of the man. Now, Florence, listen to this. The first winter he was at Lufford, this delightful neighbour of ours wrote to the clergyman of his parish. He's not ours, but we know him very well. And offered to show the schoolchildren some magic lantern slides. He said he had some new kinds which he thought would interest them. Well, the clergyman was rather surprised, because Mr. Carswell had shown himself inclined to be unpleasant to the children, complaining of their trespassing or something of the sort, but of course he accepted. And the evening was fixed, and our friend went himself to see that evening went right. He said he never had been so thankful for anything as that his own children were all prevented from being there. They were at a children's party at our house, as a matter of fact, because this Mr. Carswell had evidently set out with the intention of frightening these poor village children out of their wits, and I do believe, if he had been allowed to go on, he would actually have done so. He began with some comparatively mild things. Red Riding Hood was one, and even then Mr. Forrest said the wolf was so dreadful that several of the smaller children had to be taken out. And he said Mr. Carswell began the story by producing a noise like a wolf howling in the distance, which was the most gruesome thing he'd ever heard. All the slides he showed, Mr. Forrest said, were most clever. They were absolutely realistic. And where he got them, or how he worked them, he could not imagine. Well, the show went on, and the stories kept on becoming a little more terrifying each time. And the children were mesmerised into complete silence. At last, he produced a series which represented a little boy passing through his own park. Lufford, I mean, in the evening. Every child in the room could recognise the place from the pictures. And this poor boy was followed, and at last pursued and overtaken, and either torn to pieces or somehow made away with by a horrible hopping creature in white, which you saw first dodging about among the trees, and gradually it appeared more and more plainly. Mr. Forrest said it gave him one of the worst nightmares he ever remembered. And what it must have meant to the children doesn't bear thinking of. Of course this was too much, and he spoke very sharply indeed to Mr. Carswell, and said he couldn't go on. All he said was, Oh, you think it's time to bring our little show to an end and send them home to their beds? Very well. And then, if you please, he switched on another slide which showed a great mass of snakes, centipedes and disgusting creatures with wings. And somehow or other he made it seem as if they were climbing out of the picture and getting in amongst the audience. And this was accompanied by a sort of dry rustling noise which sent the children nearly mad. And of course, they stampeded. A good many of them were rather hurt in getting out of the room, and I don't suppose one of them closed an eye that night. There was the most dreadful trouble in the village afterwards. Of course, the mothers threw a good part of the blame on poor Mr. Farah, and if they could have got past the gates, I believe the fathers would have broken every window in the abbey. Well, now that's Mr. Carswell. That's the Abbot of Lufford, my dear. And you can imagine how we covet his society. Yes, I think he has all the possibilities of a distinguished criminal, as Carswell, said the host. I should be sorry for anyone who got into his bad books. Is he the man, or am I mixing him up with someone else? asked the secretary, who for some minutes had been wearing the frown of the man who was trying to recollect something. 
Is he the man who brought out a history of witchcraft some time back, ten years or more? That's the man. Do you remember the reviews of it? Certainly I do. And what's equally to the point, I knew the author of the most incisive of the lot. So did you. You must remember John Harrington. He was at John's in our time. Oh, very well indeed, though I don't think I saw anything of him between the time I went down and the day I read the account of the inquest on him. Inquest? said one of the ladies. What has happened to him? Why, what happened was that he fell out of a tree and broke his neck. But the puzzle was, what could have induced him to get up there? It was a mysterious business, I must say. Here was this man, not an athletic fellow, was he? With no eccentric twist about him that he was ever noticed, walking home along a country lane late in the evening. No tramps about. And he suddenly begins to run like mad, loses his hat and stick and finally shins up a tree. Quite a difficult tree, growing in the hedgerow. Dead branch gives way and he comes down with it and breaks his neck. And there he's found the next morning with the most dreadful face.